I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Thursday is Thanksgiving, and I've shared before that this is one of my favorite holidays. I mean, how can it not be a great day? You're remembering all the things that are blessings to your life. You spend the day with loved ones. You eat lots of great food. You watch lots of great or hopefully great football. It's a day set aside to give thanks to God for all the blessings that we have in life. And yet... In that fun day, sometimes we run the risk of feeling uh, thankful, well, thankful for something and not ever really giving thanks to the ones responsible. Now, a few years ago when our church focused on a year of gratitude, there was a quote that really stuck out with me. It's become one of my favorite quotes. Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. That's from G.B. Stern. Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. When we focus just on all the things that we're thankful for without having ever given thanks to anyone, we run the risk of just being caught up with all the things in our life that are going well. We run the risk of just being thankful for things And when things don't go well in life, as they sometimes uh, change and circumstances will bring about difficult difficult circumstances, that uh, we have a struggle in what to be thankful for. Our well-being is shaken. If all we do is turn inward and search for a feeling of thankfulness, we miss out on the greater good of expressing gratitude to the one responsible for life and the blessings within. We need to make sure that we're intentional, not to settle for being thankful for, but to go on and give thanks to God and our loved ones who make life such a blessing. This morning's scripture passage comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Now, the church in Philippi was established around 50 CE, and it was an important one for Paul because it really expanded his missionary area. Now, the city of Philippi at that time was relatively small. Only about 10,000 people lived there, mainly Greek and Roman citizens. Uh, Archaeological work has never shown any kind of Jewish presence in Philippi in the first century. And so the church there was Gentile and they were new to the faith. 
Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians with a theme of joy woven throughout it. Now, that's all the more inspirational when you remember that he was in prison when he wrote this letter. Now, he wanted to write to the church there in Philippi and thank them for their gifts and their encouragement, but he also had a larger goal in mind. He understood that what he was suffering uh, would sometimes come to the people in the churches around, and he knew that the church in Philippi would go through struggles themselves, and he wanted them to learn that no matter what they faced in life, they could be strong in their relationship with God. They could be grounded because of their connection to Christ. Now, being in prison any time is not a good thing, but it was especially brutal in the first century. We know that a lot of prisons were actually underground dungeons. Many of them were abandoned cisterns, and so they didn't have any kind of external light, no windows. They were dark and cold and damp. The prisoners would be shackled together, sometimes chained to the wall. And when a prisoner would die, as was a common thing, the guards or the soldiers were in no hurry to remove the body. Sometimes they would leave it there for days on end. There were no beds, there was no bedding, and it was cold. The rations for water and food were so meager that it would be very difficult to survive there in prison. Prisoners had to depend on friends and family to get them what they needed to be able to endure life there in prison at that time. You remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about Paul writing to Timothy and asking him to bring his coat and to do his utmost to come before winter because he needed that to stay warm. Well, Paul knew that people were well acquainted with how terrible the conditions were. And he knew that his life was shortening. He knew that his life was in jeopardy, and the church knew that as well. We don't know where Paul was imprisoned at. We speculate that it was at Rome because he was under a capital charge, and he would ultimately be martyred there in Rome. And he speaks with great seriousness about his life and his life on earth coming to an end. And it would explain why the letter to the Philippians opens immediately with Paul reassuring the church that he was alive and still strong in his faith to God. Well, Paul wanted to make sure that the church didn't lose their bearings if and when something happened to him. And so he wrote this letter. He would remain solid in his relationship with God, and to his very end of his life on earth, he would make an impact in growing the church. We can live that same kind of life where we're not bound to the circumstances to bring us identity, to bring us a sense of well-being. We can be connected to Christ, and no matter what happens in times of celebration or in times of loss and grief, in times where it seems we have plenty or in times that we are struggling to get by, in any and all times, we can give thanks to God and be content. 
There are three things I want to discuss this morning that can help us always and everywhere give thanks to God. First is to take the focus off yourself. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with being thankful for things, but the problem happens when we only settle for that warm, fuzzy, internal thankfulness, and we never express gratitude. We need to move beyond that and take the focus off ourselves. Paul would say that he has learned, uh, no matter what would happen, to be content. Now, when we hear that word content, we're apt to think that it meant that no matter what happened to Paul, he was at peace. He was content. He was satisfied. But that's not an accurate reading of this passage, The Greek word that has been translated content is probably better translated as self-sufficient. And this kind of opens up an interesting paradox for us. Because Paul says that he is content or self-sufficient because of his dependency upon Christ. How is it that someone could claim to be self-sufficient when they're totally dependent upon someone else? Well, it's because everything that Paul needs for himself is found in Christ. All that he needs is this connection he has to Jesus Christ. That is the only thing he really, truly needs to sustain his soul. They could take away his clothes, his possessions, his freedom... But as long as he had Christ, he was content. He was self-sufficient. We can nurture this self-sufficiency in our lives by taking the focus off of ourselves and looking outward, giving our thanks to God and becoming more and more dependent upon him. Now, recently we've been talking a lot about Fred Rogers and how Tom Hanks will play Fred Rogers in a movie that comes out next year. Uh, But that's not the only movie that Tom Hanks will be in next year. Next summer, Toy Story 4 will be released. And in the past couple of weeks, we've seen a couple trailers that have come out, uh, kind of giving us a sneak peek as to the plot. You know that Tom Hanks voices the main character, Woody, And there's already been a lot of discussion around a new toy that's been added to the group by the name Forky. Now, Forky is apparently a plastic disposable fork or spork, you know, a combination of a spoon and fork. And it's obviously some kind of child's craft project because Forky has arms made from a pipe cleaner He has glued on eyes and a mouth that looks like it's made out of yarn. Well, Forky, the character, is voiced by the actor Tony Hale. You might be familiar with Tony Hale's work in the television series Veep or Arrested Development. He's been a comedian and actor for years, and he's also a Christian of deep faith. And he talks about he has a goal of trying to reach people for Christ and to tell them about God's love wherever he's at. And he's run into many situations where 
churches and Christians have a hard time believing that God is at work in the entertainment industry. That we try to kind of box God in and hem God in to places that, uh, like a Bible bookstore, or things that are a completely 100% Christian production. And what that does is it excludes so many opportunities for ministry. And it really says something about the limits that we set on God's activity in the world. I want to read you what Tony Hale said in a recent interview. He said, God is the ultimate creator. He has the most creativity. Unfortunately, Christians have boxed in God in the entertainment industry. They treat the subject as if God can only be sold in Christian bookstores. But the truth is truth anywhere it's spoken. I love that line. The truth is truth anywhere it's spoken. As Christians, we need to stretch ourselves and be more creative. Instead of focusing on ourselves or a certain market, only focusing on the Christian market is not creative. It's about showing the love of Christ wherever you are. In comedy, there's a lot of cynicism because some of the really good comedy comes out of extreme brokenness. A lot of people in this industry are really hurting, and you find it's a good opportunity to show the love of Christ to those around you. Now, it's because of this philosophy and his faith that Tony and an actor friend of his started a Bible study prayer group in New York City called The Haven. It's for actors, comedians, those in the entertainment industry. And this is how he describes it. Tony said, we called it The Haven because we saw it as a safe place for artists. There's a lot of rejection and uncertainty in this business, and it's a time for artists to give thanks and get the focus off themselves. Now, I find this intriguing because he admits he sees so much Uh, brokenness and pain and suffering. He says there's a lot of rejection and uncertainty. And yet he believes the solution comes from giving thanks and shifting the focus off yourself. It's great that when he joined the Toy Story movie franchise as Forky, he became part of a movie franchise that has that idea at its very core. If you remember the very first Toy Story movie, you have Woody and Buzz Lightyear struggling with their identities and with the circumstances they've been thrown into. Woody has always been the favorite toy of his boy, Andy, and now Andy has received at his birthday party a new spaceman toy called Buzz Lightyear. And so Woody is struggling with where he fits in. He struggles with feeling replaced as Andy's favorite toy. Buzz Lightyear is devastated by the fact that he's not a real spaceman, he's just a toy. And the solution for both of them is found when they get the focus off of themselves and find their contentment in their connection with Andy. Second, we need to look beyond the moment. Now, Paul was not trying to deny the pain and suffering he was enduring. 
He spoke of it. He talked about the times that he was beaten, the time that he was cold and hungry, the times that he felt down. But he didn't let those moments or circumstances define him. He was able to look well beyond. And one of the things that was helpful for him was his love for the church in Philippi. He cared about their long-term success. And so he was moved from his moment of suffering to consider a greater good and be part of something that was bigger than himself. All of us will face times that we have grief or loss or struggles or doubt. And it's absolutely important that we acknowledge those. We should be praying about those and allow ourselves to understand that those are normal feelings when we have loss and grief. But we don't have to let them define us or hold us back from continuing on in life. They don't have to keep us internally focused and captured by a single moment for the rest of our lives. We need to look beyond and strive to see a bigger goal and picture for life. A few weeks back, uh, I went to the Leading Edge Conference with Dr. Long and Reverend Phil Greenwald and Reverend Josh Attaway in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a conference for pastors of large Methodist churches. And I have to tell you, it's great to get together with these people and uh, really brainstorm about ideas of reaching people for Christ, of ways to alleviate suffering through missions, ways to cross all the divides that are so prevalent in our country today. But one evening, they brought in a guest speaker named Bill Curry. He's a former NFL player and coach. Bill Curry graduated in 1965 from Georgia Tech, and he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, where he would play under coach Vince Lombardi. And it was there, as a starting center for the team, that his team won Super Bowl number one in 1966. Not too long after that, he was uh, traded to the Baltimore Colts, where he would play under coach Don Shula. And he would go on to win another ring by winning Super Bowl V. The quarterback at that time was Johnny Unitas. And they beat Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys that year in 71. Now, He's rattling off all these names, and you know when you have names like that you can drop as part of your history, you have a whole lot of stories you can tell, and he did, and he was so funny, but he was also really inspirational because he is a man of deep faith. He talked about all the successes he's ever achieved in life, the greatest things that he has, his greatest connections are his relationship with God and his relationship with his wife and family. You could take everything away from him, but those two things were of utmost importance. But he also shared with us the story of where he was caught up in a moment and he couldn't see the big picture. It occurred when he was a 17-year-old entering college um, to play football at Georgia Tech. And he was going to play for the famous coach, Bobby Dodd. Now, he's the namesake for the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award. 
Bobby Dodd was an incredible human being, a Southern gentleman. He was a phenomenal coach and one of only four individuals who have been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame as a player and as a coach. Well, Coach Dodd only had three rules, and he repeated them over and over again to all of his players. First, every player had to go to church every week. Now, the only exceptions were the Jewish players on the team, and he expected them to go to synagogue every week. Second, no player was allowed to skip class at Georgia Tech ever. And third, he expected his players never to drink or miss curfew. And he said, other than that, they just needed to do what he said when he said it. So Bill Curry is telling us this story, and he said, you know, as a 17-year-old freshman, I was pretty smug and cocky, and there was a chemistry class that I despised because it occurred at 8 a.m. every morning. And he said, one morning, I just wasn't feeling it. We'd had a rough practice the evening before. I was tired. And I thought to myself, this is my decision. What's one class? What difference will that make? And after all, it's my choice. And so he rolled back over and skipped class that morning. And he was pretty full of himself. He thought, this was my decision. I made that choice, and it was my right And he thought that right up until the time that he arrived at football practice that day. Because when he walked into the locker room on the bulletin board, he saw a piece of paper with his name on it. And it said, Bill Curry, report to the football field tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And he knew he was in trouble. So he made sure to get there at 6 a.m. sharp. And the coach had him run the steps of the stadium for more than 40 minutes. After that time, he just collapsed on the ground. He was struggling to breathe. He could barely stand up at all. And the coach asked him what he thought about his chemistry class now. And Curry told him that he was so excited for it, he couldn't imagine missing it ever again. But he was telling us in remembering the story that in that moment, he was furious at his coach. He thought the coach had been too harsh on him. It was his decision. How dare he get so angry and punish him to that extent? But now, all these years later, all he has is gratitude to Coach Dodd. He said, in that moment, I was just consumed with myself, and I could only focus on my comfort in the moment, whether it was catching some more sleep or skipping class or being upset that my coach got on to me too much. He said, I only had concern for the moment, but Coach Dodd had the big picture in mind, not just helping me become a better football player, but helping me become a better man. And all those years later, Bill Curry was telling us, over and over again, he still gives thanks for Coach Dodd and all the lessons that he didn't see at the time, but appreciates and give thanks for now. And third, become dependent upon Christ. When Paul writes in this passage uh, that he can be content no matter what he faces, 
He's looking toward his connection to Jesus Christ. It's the source of his strength. It's the thing that he needs in life. It's the only thing. And it's that connection that we can have in our relationship with Christ. The more we focus and look to Christ, the more we give thanks to God, it helps us to get beyond ourselves. It helps us get beyond the moment and focus on our greatest strength, Christ. The more we spend time in reading scripture and prayer, listening for God's word, the more we're able to see God in the world around us, and that can help deepen our connection Last week, Dr. Long finished out the sermon series, uh, What You Do Matters, and he used as his sermon text uh, scripture from John 15, where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. When we talk about us connecting to God, to Jesus, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that Jesus wants to connect with us. Jesus' joy is in us and that connection we have. That comes from the night of the Last Supper when Jesus gathered his disciples together to spend the Passover holiday meal with them to break bread, to drink wine, and to fellowship together. Jesus knew what was ahead of him, And yet that moment was so important, not only for the disciples to be with him, but for him to be with the disciples. In the Gospel of John, five chapters of the book are dedicated to that one evening of the Last Supper. And that shows you how important it was to John and to Jesus. When I was getting ready for this sermon Dr. Long was talking with me about a particular story he had shared in the Year of Gratitude. It was a story about John Kralik. You remember John Kralik's the author of the book, 365 Days of Thank You. And in December of 2007, he found himself at the lowest point of his life. He was an attorney, and he had won several cases, but his uh, clients, for whatever reason, weren't paying him. They owed him over $400,000 that they weren't paying, and because of that, he was not going to be able to make payroll at the end of the year. He was going through his second divorce. His two sons from his first marriage were estranged from him, and he was worried about losing custody of his daughter from his second marriage. Everything seemed to just be caving in to his world. Now, it was during kind of this dark time that he went for a walk near his apartment and he heard a voice tell him, you will never be, if you're never grateful for the things that you have, you'll never receive the things you want. Now he didn't know where that came from and he couldn't really explain it. Until you learn to be grateful for the things that you have, you'll never receive the things that you want. But as he reflected on that, he remembered back to times in his life where he had practiced gratitude, where he had told people thank you, and he remembered what a difference it made, how he felt telling people thank you. And so he 
uh, made a decision to say thank you every single day by writing a thank you note. At first, it was really hard finding something to be thankful for, but the more he looked for opportunities to say thank you, the more his life changed. His health changed. He had a different outlook in life. The more he looked for uh, reasons outside of himself to be thankful, everything about him changed. He reconnected with former friends that he hadn't seen in years. He started running again. In fact, he started running with a charity that raised money to fight leukemia. And he was training for an upcoming race, running by a church that he had gone past hundreds of times before. And yet this particular time, he forgot about the tree root that had pushed up from under the sidewalk, and he tripped over it, and he fell hard. So hard that it knocked the breath out of him, and he was sore. And so he got up slowly, and he looked over And for the first time, he noticed three wooden crosses. He'd passed that way hundreds of times before, but the crosses were hidden by trees and shrubbery. And only by falling down and and seeing from a different perspective could he finally see them. He knew that they had always been there, but now was the first time. He said that he had always considered himself an atheist, but after that moment, he started going to church And he heard a message of grace. Now I read to you what he wrote. Grace was still available to everyone, even to me. Through the process of writing thank you notes, I have developed a notion of being blessed with grace. And I could see this grace and these blessings everywhere. My sons, my daughters, my friends, to name just a few examples. I could see this grace everywhere where I had not seen it before. You may be in a time of struggle or loss or grief, a time that feels dark and you don't feel that you have any hope or there's much to give thanks for. I want to encourage you to look for the grace that's all around you. It's always been there. Look for that grace Deepen your connection with Christ and make time to give thanks to God. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.